Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Great Falls. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, our season premiere for February 4th, 2010. This is Volume 401. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo. And uh, we got a lot of great stuff on this episode today. We've got Mazel Tov Cocktail. We got David Kirschenbaum talking about the CD release of Vanities. And you can hear a couple tracks from that. We got The Power of Birds. And James Barber is debuting a new segment that'll be on occasionally called James Barber's One to Watch. But before we get started, I wanted to let everyone know. I, I just taught a few classes at the Utah Theater Association's uh, annual uh, theater festival conference, 1,500 uh, high school drama students. It was a lot of fun. I uh, got to meet a lot of great people and met a lot of people that listened to Broadway Bullet teachers and students. And uh, talking to them, though, one interesting thing I found out is a lot of the teachers hadn't told their students about it or, you know, other teachers or, you know, vice versa. And so – and I, I said, by all means, tell them. I, I do this for a lot of people. And I so I want to bring this up to the listeners. If you like the show, by all means, please tell your theater-loving friends about it. Tell them how to download it. Tell them how to subscribe. Tell them how to listen about all the past articles. Uh, this is a labor of love for me. I, I do enjoy meeting all the great people, but I don't have a big budget to promote or, or market this. So my best my best way of getting this out to a lot of people is you. And the more people that listen, the more the PR agents are excited to send down uh, you know, their people to be interviewed. So please, please, if you, if you uh, are a teacher, tell your students by all means. Uh, if you're a student, tell your friends in class. If you're a fan or if you're in the industry, tell people about the, the program and how they can get it. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Well, with that said, let's launch off the season premiere here and get into the program. On the boards. You never know what job skills are going to look good on a resume. Did you have a sibling or friend that you enabled their drug habit? <laughs> Would that maybe turn you into a good celebrity assistant? <laughs> These are some of the questions that the one-person show Mazel Tov Cocktail asks. And we've got the writer-actor Jamie Foxx here to talk about the show and those aforementioned issues. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. So you, the show opens pretty quickly here, January 26th. It will have opened by the time we air this. So uh, how, how are things going for you with this? Things are great. It's a lot of fun. We have a really wonderful team of people, and everybody's working really hard. And I think it's going to be really exciting. <laughs> Ah, you know, I got a really funny EQ in your voice. I bet you sound cleaner now. Okay. Yeah, you do. Good. You got to <laughs> sound clean. You got to sound clean. <laughs> it just sounded a little underwater. But maybe that's maybe that was the effect cool thing we were going for. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell first of all, tell us a little bit about Mazel Tov Cocktail. What is the show and, you know, what was your inspiration behind creating this? Well, 
on a per- the show is about a girl who's a personal assistant and her brother goes to jail for cocaine distribution. Uh, but on a personal level, I start. My brother went to jail for cocaine distribution, and um, I started to write the story because I felt like most of the stories were about addicts and how they overcame addiction. And I was curious about where the stories were, where it was, how it affected the family. And part of being the sibling of an addict is discovering that you have a good sense of humor to survive through all of the insanity that uh, is provided by them. So, you know, I thought doing it through humor is the best way. Is your brother happy with this? I'm glad my (laughs) drug addiction gives you pleasure. He's thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) So now, uh, this opens January 6th. January 26th runs through February 20th, and I still can't talk yet. It's a, it's a month of not talking. Um, and, uh, it's okay. Who's producing the area? Did you produce this yourselves, or is this in conjunction with another organization? Or MZ Productions is producing it. Marilyn Ziering is the producer, and she's she, most of the work she's done has been involved with the opera in Los Angeles, Recovered Voices, which is... Um, Operas that were recovered that were either silenced because of the Nazis or the composers died, and they're they're mounting them sometimes for the, f- for the first time ever, and sometimes they just haven't been produced, and it's pretty amazing. So how did you hook up with her, and how did she make the jump from opera to one-woman comedy? Well, dark comedy. Dark, dark <laughs> comedy. Uh, you know, the show, Marilyn's a philanthropist, and the show does have the—the show is universal, but it deals with culturally a Jewish family, and Jews kind of don't like to talk about— drug addiction or bad things. They like to talk about, you know, successes, like being a lawyer, going to a graduation or a wedding. My family goes to court. But um, (laughs) uh, so there's that healing side of it. And I think that's probably, you know, you'd have to ask her, but I think that's what attracted to her to the story in the beginning was this sense of hope and being able to change and move through these situations that, you know, we don't, my family's amazing, but we've been through a lot of crap. So to be able to turn that into something positive, I think that that's been a, it's been a really, the show's funny. I don't want to get all dramatic and that this is only, you know, uh, a, dramatic things to talk about, but it, there is a healing aspect to it. As I've, as I've toured it around the country, people have come up to me and said some pretty intense things that it's nice that there's that side of it too. So I understand you have lots of like great tidbits about being a celebrity assistant. <laughs> Are you in the mood to dish? Sure. Ask me a question, and I'll uh, I'll see if I can answer it. I, I have signed a lot of confidentiality agreements, so I'll have to see what I can uh, release here. Well, I, I don't know who you... Who you what, what, I can't what, tell you. What, what, are the, what are the dishiest stories? And I'll just try to guess who they are. Oh, no. God, that's terrible. I'm trying to think of a good story. It's just, you know, some of the people that I've worked for, you know, I was kind of with them as their fame grew, and it just it becomes this thing where... When you no longer have to take out your trash, you forget that you ever had to take out your trash. And, you know, I think it's good to take My out your trash. My girlfriend's already forgotten how to take out the trash. <laughs> you should make her take it out every <laughs> once in a while. You don't want her to forget. What Okay, I'm going to say, again, I shouldn't say names, but my girlfriend works at Columbia, and there's right now a prominent actor who's attending Columbia who has his personal assistant with him at all classes. And I'm like, is this personal assistant paying tuition? Because they're certainly That's gonna... crazy. And it just seems odd. <laughs> you mean she, she has a babysitter with her? <laughs> yeah, he has, yeah. Somebody attending classes with him. <laughs> it's like, and this is Columbia. So I'm like, I'm assuming he probably has to even pay for her because I, don't, I can't imagine going, okay, you can bring along 
you know, because then everybody wants to start. Yeah, maybe he's friends. trying to hook them up with the free education. But what is it that inspires these celebrity assistants to think they need a personal? Or these, I mean, these celebrities to think they need a personal assistant, I guess, would be... I do think, I mean, a lot of these people's lives are out of control. You know, they don't have time to think about anything, and so they, but they know what they like and they know what they want. So they need to find someone who is good at doing that, a.k.a. a carpet, <laughs> and just will, you know, <laughs> do whatever needs to be done and know what their needs are and make sure they're met and make sure everything's perfect and... Um, I was a great candidate for that because, you know, it was always about my brother. It was always about making sure he was okay doing that. So I was, you know, first – and I fell into it. I had no idea what a personal assistant was. I went to go get headshots from a photographer, and his dog liked me. And so his friend who was an A-list celebrity was looking for an assistant, and the rest – I showed my resume once to him and his dog. Now – is this something you can work for more than one person at a time? I did. I did. You know, because I was also pursuing my acting career, which got – I felt like I was so close because I was on set and I was working with these people and I was meeting all these amazing people. But I couldn't have been further away from what I wanted at the time. Um, so, but well, I, they, they kind of probably look at you in that world kind of like they look at a stage manager in community theater. Yeah. Oh, wait. Well, I, you're the stage manager. We're never letting you do anything else because you're willing to stage manage. Exactly. It's very true. <laughs> well, you know, it's, I, do, I, I, have, I don't mean to be that mean to stage managers, but that, that trap happens. If you're willing to do the grunt work sometimes people, and you do it well, it can be damn hard. Yeah. To, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be too good at it if you have uh, a desire to move on. But I do have a good story, okay. a celebrity story. So I was on set with someone once, and I was helping her run her lines. And I made a suggestion to her about how she was doing it. And then I was on set when they shot it. And we had, like, this really weird sort of Meisner moment where we were, like, instead of using the words, we were trading emotions through our eyes, kind of. It was very odd. But she did this amazingly beautiful scene. And then they, after they wrapped, they decided to reshoot it because they wanted to put a filter on the camera for her skin, I guess, and uh, for her wrinkles. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but they used the one from when I was there because <laughs> the acting was better. So that, that's sort of like my proud moment as a personal assistant slash acting teacher. What's like the craziest thing? I mean, are, 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 do you get moments where it's like, please pick out the red M&Ms and... <laughs> no, I, I don't want to give away some of the stuff that's in the show. Is that a little? Okay, I'll give a little bit. Your PR agents can give it a little. Give a little. Give a taste. How's this? Are you ready for this? Okay. Pulling a panty liner out of someone's underwear. Oh. That's nice. While they're in, while they're in it. No, they're out of it. <laughs> that would be something you might enjoy, but I, but like not even thinking about it, just being like, oh yeah, that needs to go in the trash, so I'm gonna peel it off and put it in there, and then put their dirty clothes in the hamper because it's hard to take your clothes off and put them in the hamper. So sometimes people need help with that. I mean, right? <laughs> so so where does the fine line? You talk about emptying the garbage, and to me that strikes that's made. That's not personal assistance, <laughs> right? Right, <laughs> but you have to. But as a personal assistant, you're in charge of everything. So if something's not done, you have to make sure it gets done. And sometimes it's easier to do it yourself than to you know because. The maid isn't maybe doing her job, then you end up having to pick up and do it. But sometimes it's very well run. There's all different, like I did, so I did work for a bunch of different people at the same time as well. So some of them would have a full-time assistant and I would sort of be the backup assistant when they needed things. And there were some houses that were run really smoothly. And then there were some that 
they didn't want to admit that they needed a personal assistant, so there was, like, hiding of me. If a friend came over, they'd, like, stick me in the closet, you know, and then just, like, <laughs> want it to appear like everything was perfect and they were Martha Stewart um, when I was. No, I wasn't Martha Stewart. Uh, she's not Jewish. But, you know, I just... Uh, so there's all different levels. And then there's people who their fame grew and they never really, like realize that they now had money to, like, make the house run smoother or their day-to-day life run smoother. And so they just did a bunch of insane things. So it was constantly me cleaning up their mess where we could have made it a lot easier on everybody. But they have the final say. Did you get any interesting travel perks out of this? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not so great staying in a beautiful hotel room by yourself. (laughs) Like, you know... Eating a bag of chocolate out of the refrigerator. But it's, um, yeah, yeah. You you do, but it's not as enjoyable. You think it is, and then you get there, and you're alone. <laughs> yeah. So have any of these people, like you said, it can be hard to break out of these, you know, this cycle sometimes. Have any of these people proven willing to help you out with your own acting? Yeah. Or do they feel threatened when they like, oh, you want There's to both. There's both. I mean, there have been people who who have not been supportive, but for the most part, everyone's been unbelievably supportive. It's been nice. Like, they've stuck their neck out for me and helped me get the show to this point in many different ways, you know, kind of in their all of their own all of their own ways. But, so, I guess they liked me. I don't know. <laughs> but they, they helped out. <laughs> They're good people. But when you stop taking your trash out, you forget. <laughs> and, well, you also got, I guess, now in the shrinking budget and internet age, you've got the equivalent of your big... Big break. You've got Big Doe coming in for a pilot on Funny or Die with Nia Vardalos. <laughs> Not a, pi- a short. A, a short. A yes, short. Well, that's yes, yes. pilot we're calling it because it sounds more impressive, right? <laughs> you got to tell people it's a pilot. It's a pilot. It's a movie. <laughs> it's a two-minute movie on Funny or Die. <laughs> yeah, we're talking with her to do that. It's a funny little sketch, so I hope every, your listeners can check it out. It's, I think it's going to be very funny. Do you know a timeline on when that's going to be up? or Soon, before the show opens. So. Okay, so it should be up by the time this is up? I think the first week of the show, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you'll have to send me a link so I can put that in the show notes. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. <laughs> she's amazing. I never worked for her, but she's a really, really nice person. And, you know, she did her one-woman show, which... That's a dream, what happened to her. I mean, she just was, she worked really hard for it, and she got it every, you know, she had the script written for the movie, and then Rita Wilson came to see it, and it's a very happy ending. And now she's doing Funny or Die? Now she's doing Funny or Die. So everything's... It's something I wrote. It's everybody's cool. <laughs> doing Funny or Die. So she does, she's not even writing anymore. She's, like, too big to kidding. No, I think she's always... <laughs> I'll just... Uh, her assistant up. writes for her. <laughs> no. No, she's. I think she's always right. She's a pretty cool lady. She's always she's always doing very ambitious and writing and doing things. That's what I hear on the street, anyway. So, is your brother enjoying your newfound success coming up, or is he still in prison? You know, that's my brother's story to tell. It's you know, I try to keep the focus on the fact that this is a story that's about how addiction affects the family and how you know his addiction has has. It has intense effects on everyone around him. Anyone who's a drug addict or an alcoholic or, you know, any of those things, it's that part is really, really devastating because my family is, you know, my family's unbelievably supportive and they've done everything they can to to have a great, wonderful family. And this is this is how some of the stuff has turned out. So but that's his story. I'll see if I can help him write a one man show when he gets out. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. So Just kidding. I'm not going to help him. I'm not helping him. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to stop. It's got to end. <laughs> he has to write his own one-man show. All right. So it's Mazel Tov Cocktail, an explosive family comedy is the subtitle. Uh, and you can go to what Mazel Tov Cocktail, the play.com. Yep. You want to spell Mazel Tov? M-A-Z-E-L-T-O-V. Yeah. The play. Cocktail, the play. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, just for those, you know, you know, goys out there who don't know how to spell mazel. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is very much a universal, universal show. It's, it's, we can all relate to all of the characters. And that's where the humor comes from, is the ridiculous things that we do when we're faced with horrible situations. You know, what denial can, can bring us to do. So it's the funny things, we awkward things we all do. And everyone eats in the show, too, which is great. <laughs> All right. So, Jamie Foxx, thanks so much, and Thank best you. of luck with Mazel Tov Cocktail. Thank you very much. Listening room. Well, we've been following Vanities for a long time, from its uh, inception all the way to its production on Second Stage Theater. And just today, the cast album has come out on uh, Ghost Light Records and uh, in fact David Kirschenbaum who wrote the music and lyrics hasn't been on the show himself for quite a while since it's still Inception we've had everybody else so now that the cast album's out felt it was appropriate to get David back in here and talk about the show and what else he's working on. How's it going Dave? Pleasure to be back. Going great. <laughs> I think it was right after we did the first production in Palo Alto was the last time that I came in. Uh, but we didn't talk to you. You came in when we talked to all the girls from Vanity's, and I talked to you. Yeah. But we, well, but you weren't on the show. It's been it's since our first season that you were yeah. on the show. That's, a, that's been a while. What is that now? Four years? Uh, three. About three. Congratulations. Years. <laughs> <laughs> through the shows, we go in three and a half years. So, how did Vanity's? How I, I from talking beforehand, you're still writing on this. Well, this cast album's out, man. <laughs> Isn't it done? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing's ever done. You know, I, I, I've always even you know, I, I've always said that even even when a show opens, I never stop wishing that I'd been able to write it better. And I don't know that you know, and that's just in, in the tradition of you know what we've always talked about about the fact that. Nothing's perfect, and that you can poke holes in Hamlet, and 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 Vanities isn't Hamlet, but but I am proud of it, and I don't know that it'll undergo a lot of changes in the future. But we are doing some tweaks, some little nips and tucks for the future of the property. It, it, Jack Hefner, who wrote the original play that the musical is based on, and of course we've talked about. The whole history in here before we've talked about the history of the play and how the musical came about, but Jack wrote the original play and wrote the music, the book for the musical with me. And a week after the show closed at Second Stage, he sent me a new script with a <laughs> bunch of a bunch of changes, a couple things that uh, he wanted to cut but never had a few things that he wanted to restore that had been deleted along the way. And I thought, well, if Okay, if Jack, who's been working on this for nearly 30, over 30 years now, <laughs> uh, is still working on it, then, you know, who am I to not pitch in and, and do my share? So I don't think, you know, we'll see an entire drastic 
reconceived version of the, of the show. But there, there are one or two spots that we're looking at for the next time we do it. So what was the process like uh, recording the cast album? Well, the cast album was, was great because we did it, I think, exactly 10 days after the show closed, and which is the perfect time to, to do a cast album. I think too many, uh, too many times, too many Broadway shows are sort of forced by the, the schedule and the reality of the situation to go into the studio the Monday after the show opens uh, when the cast really should be having a day off. <laughs> and we were lucky enough that we had a limited scheduled run at second stage. And we recorded it 10 days after we closed, which meant that everybody still had the score fresh in their minds, but it had a little bit of time off before we got back. The rest of the vocal cords. Exactly. (laughs) Especially for a show like this, where it's just three women, they never leave the stage, and they virtually never stop singing. It's, you know, almost an hour of music that they, that that just rests squarely on on their shoulders. So, uh, and we did it all in one day, which is the way most cast albums are done now. And they came through like champs. All three of them were just terrific. Um, and the band, the whole band that um, that played it at second stage, which was an eight-piece eight band, um, and it was a great day. We had we had a lot of fun, and and we mixed it in the fall, and and now it's out. I loved working with Ghostlight Records too. I, I thought I, Joel Moss was the record producer, and is, I've admired his work for years. And you know. Everything, just just from cast albums, everything from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and, and Spelling Bee, and and but he's worked with everybody in the business, from Tony Bennett to uh, Bill Charlotte to I mean, just you know, you name it. And and he's he's really one of the great record producers. Noah Corman was sort of our point person at, at, at Ghostlight and Shikaboom. He was terrific to work with, and Kurt Deutsch as well. And I also have to thank the. Uh, people who who made the album happen, including Junkyard Dog Productions, who are our commercial producers, uh, Nick Demos, Fran Bazaar, and Kenny Alhadif, who really sort of stepped up and and made it all happen really quickly. All right, well, let's maybe uh, play a song here from the album. Uh, the first song that I, I really loved when when I saw it live was the that same old music and. Uh, if one of you had any, any interesting stories around the, the writing of that or the production of that song? I, you know, it's, there was originally another song there for that character, for Joanne in scene three, called In the Same Place. And it was kind of more of a ballad. And at some point, I thought, well, the character's getting drunk, and she should be having more fun or trying harder to have more fun and, and, and having a harder time keeping it together. And so I said, maybe it should be an up-tempo. Or maybe it should turn into an up-tempo. And I think everybody I w- was working with sort of looked at me like I was crazy because they had liked the first song. And, but I wrote it with Sarah Stiles, who you're going to hear in mind, and gave it to her, I don't know, a couple hours before a reading that we did. And I, everybody was very nervous about it because they had liked the old number. But... Um, but she knocked it out of the park at that first reading where she performed it and and it stayed in the show ever since all right let's take a listen i'd given up hope i just never thought we'd all be in new york you live in connecticut 
Well, yes, but I'm close. Did you ever think when we were girls we'd all be sitting here together in New York City? It never crossed my mind. Well, this is awful nice. I'm glad you're flying high, doing well, sitting pretty. And this is paradise, a garden in the sky with a view of the city. It took us long enough, but here we are today. And we've got so much stuff to say. Hands like a new same old 
speaking of that and rewriting and writing new songs when you're working on a musical, how hard is it for you? How often do you find yourself ditching what you think is a perfectly good song or maybe even a great song, but it just doesn't work right where it's at? And, and how hard is that to let go? Uh, it happens all the time. <laughs> and it's it's hard, but it, it can't be on a certain level. You have to do it. I may be doing it again this afternoon. We're... You know, again, speaking about shows that that are never finished, I'm going straight from here to a production meeting on Party Come Here, which has sort of been kicking around for the last four or five years. We did it in, uh, at the Williamstown Theater Festival uh, a few years ago, right after doing it in Nymph, and uh, it's happening sort of. It's it's sort of come together at the, at the last minute, but it's we're doing it at NYU, the NYU Steinhardt. Uh, school of, of their vocal and musical theater department is doing it this spring in a production directed by John Simpkins and we're looking at taking it as an opportunity to look at the show fresh and and Daniel Goldfarb who I think I was in here with yeah. you um, uh, when we did it at Nymph he and I spoke to you we're looking at every song and every joke that we've fallen in love with over the last couple of years, but taking a really, you know, laser-like look at it to make sure that they still work and that they're necessary no matter how much we like them. Yeah, there's there's so much, you know, that goes into a musical. I mean, sometimes when you're looking at what's wrong with the show, sometimes you need to look at what's right. You know, I found, like, the fact that one scene may not be working may actually not have something to do with that scene, but how it was set up what set around it <laughs> well it's such a jigsaw puzzle and it's 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 all too easy in especially doing a musical to sort of uh, play the 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 blame game to a certain extent or not even the blame game but also to to give give credit where credit isn't due you you know if something isn't working it's easy to say well that was the fault of the performer or it wasn't directed right or the lighting design wasn't perfect or what have you. But it's also the case that a good performer can, or a good director can, you know, make you look like a genius when you're really not, you know. With Party Come Here, we've been really lucky that we've had over the years, I mean, just all these terrific, terrific actors from Hunter Foster and Terry Butler and Terrence Mann and Chip Sign and Adam Heller and Caitlin Hopkins and Kate Reinders and and I mean, I go, this goes on. Karen Olivo, Marcy Harrell. The goal, of course, with any show is to make it actor-proof and production-proof. So we were in auditions about a month ago with these stu- these really talented students down at NYU, who were still getting Daniel's humor and still sounding good on my songs. But we thought this is a great opportunity for us to really make the show the best it can be. Because um, as good as they are, and they are good, um, they don't necessarily have the, the – I don't mean this in a bad way – but the <laughs> slickness that, that some of the top actors on Broadway can have that will sometimes put a Band-Aid over your lesser material. <laughs> and uh, so, so we're, we're looking forward to doing – to doing that, I mean, I think that's the the goal of every show is to make it is to make it production proof and actor proof, and it's a tall order a lot of the time. <laughs> 
Well, um, getting back to the cast album release that's out, and I know this is in iTunes and Amazon and probably some stores that carry a lot of musical theater. Yeah. Product now. Um, what, what stores are those, Michael? <laughs> I, I don't know anymore. Nobody sells CDs, but I'm assuming there's some of them. There's some stores carrying this, right? Like probably like you know Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble will have it. Yes. <laughs> Barnes and Noble. If you're in Ohio and you need a physical CD, go to Barnes and Noble on 66th in Manhattan. And exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I've, I, I like I said, I've been so lucky. I, you know, th- th- I've been unlucky in one sense, which is my two New York shows, Summers of 42 and Vanities, both opened right after these sort of cataclysmic world changes. Summer 42 came in right after 9-11, and Vanities was scheduled to go to Broadway right after the right after the economic collapse. Okay, so you cannot do another show or we're going to have another, like, natural world exactly. economic disaster. Exactly, exactly. I'm, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's not all about me sometimes, but... Uh, but it was hard not to take those two events a little personally. But the flip side is I've been really lucky in that both shows got these cast albums, uh, Summer 42 on, on J Records and now Vanities on, on Ghostlight. And, you know, that's been but, – but my whole life growing up, I remember just thinking, wouldn't it be great if I could walk into Tower Records and see – an album of mine on the shelves at Tower Records. And literally two months before Summer 42 came out on CD, the <laughs> Tower Records closed. And 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 now Vanities is out, and, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure where it'll be, besides, besides from Barnes & Noble and Colony. Um, but... Uh, uh, and Borders, it's, it's sad. It's sad that, that, that all the independent record stores and bookstores are... Are, are closing, but it's great at the same time, I guess, that everybody can, with one click, order it on, on Amazon or iTunes. Yeah. All right, so what's the next song here we're going to play? Sorry, I went off on a tangent. That's there. all right. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> this is what uh, podcasts are for. Yeah, tangents. okay, good. No, this next song is, is uh, this, this is one that, that's really close to my heart. It's called Friendship Isn't What It Used To Be, and it, I'm fond of it because it's one of the few, it's one of three or four songs it's one of the first three or four songs I wrote for the show when I was first meeting with Jack Hefner about writing it and to see if we were a good fit collaboratively and creatively. I wrote three or four songs just on spec just to see if I was a good fit for the material and if he liked my stuff. And I played him three or four numbers. And this was the last one I played him. And yeah, I remember I was at my piano in, in my apartment and he was sitting on my couch. And I looked up and... And he was smiling and had tears in his eyes. And he looked at me and he said, I, it, it's, it's hard to imagine the play ever existing without that song. And that's the kind of thing that just makes your day, sort of regardless of, you know, not make, makes your day. It makes the whole process worthwhile. When, 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 when the guy who came up with the whole play in the first place says he feels like the song should have always been a part of his work, um, that was a great moment for me. And... Uh, and and he and I still still got choked up from time to time watching the show, the, the song and performance. It's all three of them at the end of the show, as they're toward the end of the show. It's the the second to last song, as they're they realize that their friendship, which has seen all kinds of ups and downs over the course of twelve or fifteen years, has started to come apart. 
All right, and you actually had sneak previewed this like three years ago when you brought Leslie Kritzer into the studio. That's right. So now they can hear the finished. It was always it, it, it started as a, as a as a solo for Leslie for Leslie's character, um, and at some point we turned it into when we when we wound up doing this production with Annalisa Vanderpool and Lauren Kennedy and Sarah Stiles, we turned it into a, a trio for all three of them. All right, well, let's take a listen. Three pretty girls in a schoolyard playing games and making noise. You would think they had been best friends forever, talking algebra and boys. We were each of us after the big brass ring, so we swore we'd never be apart. And if it rang a little false, we knew we said it from the And for once you'd be correct It's apparent that none of us made the grade Well, at least not in the way we planned But how we lost our common ground Is what I'll never understand Should it feel so strange? All relationships rearrange. And the fact is, some friends don't fade. Some you never see. Make your peace with the choices made. Face the fact that you've been betrayed. Swallow hard. At the price you pay But friendship isn't what it used to be So for yourself, uh, writer, composer, lyricist, what's next on your docket? Are you working on anything else we should know about? 
I'm, I just got back from uh, Theater Works in Palo Alto where, ironically, Vanities began. They did the first reading of Vanities out there right when we, right when we started working on it. And they also did the world premiere production. And I got back from a writer's retreat out there where I've, I've been working on my first play. I actually, I'm working on two plays. I also wrote a, just for laughs, just for myself, I don't know if anything will ever come of it, but I wrote a, a, t, a, a spec uh, TV script. And I've just been trying to do some other things since uh, uh, Vanity's closed in September, and I said, well, I'm going to take about six months to, to try to do uh, something different that will hopefully take a little bit less time, not less work or discipline mm-hmm. or less exactitude, but a little less time. Because it really is when you, like, like we've been talking, and you know this mm-hmm. from, from your own writing, it's, it's it, from coming up with the idea to the finished product is four or five years of your life on a new musical. And with a play, I thought maybe I'll be able to, uh, to write it a little bit faster. We'll, we'll see if it if I'm right about that, but <laughs> both my parents were writers. My 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 dad was a uh, a sports writer, a journalist, um, and my mom wrote for soap operas. So I think it's something I've I've always thought about and always wanted to to try. You could I, do a musical soap opera. I the genre is floundering. Maybe they need something new. I think <laughs> uh, sometimes. Unfortunately, musicals turn out to be soap operas. <laughs> nothing against soap. Nothing against a good soap opera. Um, yeah, no. I mean, I, and I think. Can you I, imagine a stable of songwriters trying to crank out like five songs for a soap every day? Well, that was the problem. With, <laughs> that's the problem with every time they try to do one of these, uh, you know, uh, musical TV shows like Cop Rock and Viva Laughlin. What, what was that one? They, the problem is turning out a. You know, a, a bunch of songs every week. So, I, doing it every day, five, five shows a week. I can't even. I don't even know how the how the writers and 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 on on the daytime dramas do it. I don't know how the the actors learn all those lines. I guess there probably are some teleprompters involved. But uh, no, I, I I can't imagine. Um, but I I think by the spring I'll be back at work on a new musical. I'm sort of I've got a couple ideas now and and. And waiting to see what that'll be. Don't tell us when it's launching, so we don't know when you know the next typhoon or yeah. economic. Thanks, hitter. Michael. <laughs> th- th- thanks, Michael. Yeah, we'll we'll just sort of uh, try to open it without any advance word, just so that uh, I don't jinx the <laughs> the world economy. All right, well, David Kirschenbaum, pleasure to have you on, and best of luck with everything coming up. And again, everybody can check out now Vanities, the original cast recording. I'm really happy with it, and it's great to be back. Thanks, Michael. Okay. On the boards. Here in New York, I thought the power of birds was uh, the ability to ruin your suit when you're on your way to an important meeting. (laughs) But uh, the power of birds is a new play that's being presented by Three Graces Theatre Company, and we've got the artistic directors, Annie McGovern, who is also acting in the show, and Elizabeth Bunnell, who is directing the show here with us today to talk about the... Show the power of birds. How are you guys doing? I'm very well. Thank you for having <laughs> us. Thank you. Thank I love you. that. Can we use that in some of our marketing? I know. <laughs> Feel free. I know. It's very New York. It's supposed to be good luck, too. So, you know. <laughs> well, let's kick everything off here. What is the power of birds? It's a play. <laughs> it's a play. Um, <laughs> it's a wonderful uh, new play by uh, a woman named Robin Rice Lichtig. 
and um, it. <sighs> It, it is a very layered, wonderful play that uh, is, at, at its heart, a, a family drama. I've yet to have anybody come in here and go, it's a really banal play. <laughs> There's yeah. no layers. It's all surface. Uh. <laughs> no, that, this one really is. This one really is, though. I mean, I was thinking about it on the way over here. I was like, this is the kind of play that you could actually go back to and see it like four or five times. Hint, hint, hint. Yeah, um, I would agree. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and so as director, you've now seen it two or three times, right? Uh, yeah, yeah I've, <laughs> I've seen it quite a few times, and I'm still like, wow, there, there's something else to learn from it. it um, it's just, uh, the characters are really well drawn. There, there's, there's so much complexity there, and... Um, and the and the relationships between the family are just like they're relatable, Absolutely. but they're unique, and um, it's uh, it's really exciting. It's also a play about. I mean, uh, Robin as a playwright is very. Um, it's a play about the environment. This is a woman who, throughout her life, has has worn many hats and has tremendous interest in so many varied um, topics, and, and one of them happens to be the study of birds. Uh, and so it's it's truly educational. I'm, yeah. As an actor, I've been uh, blown away in rehearsals by by some of the the, the knowledge uh, that Robin has on these topics, and, and you really can learn a tremendous amount about birds What's and the right bird word? Ornithologist? Ornithology, or yes, yes. The, 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 the gist of the story is that the, um, we, have a, we have a family, uh, 12-year-old twins, a boy and a girl, their mom, their dad, and their paternal grandmother. Their uh, paternal grandfather has, has just passed away. And, um, and right at the beginning of the play, their father, who is an ornithologist... Um, I can't believe I actually remembered the word correctly. Yes, like, that is too the busy word. patting myself on my back. <laughs> it was a question. It was a question yeah. on Cash Cab the other day, yes. and I actually knew it oh, because then. I am in this play. See <laughs> the things we learn. We do. Um, but anyway, the at the at the start of the play, the ornithologist uh, flies the coop. <laughs> wow, where's this down with a ball? Yeah. Nice. Yes, nice. The, the bird puns that we, we <laughs> that have come, endless. come up in this um, in rehearsals are, are, are many. I, I won't even bore you with all of them. But um, anyway, he takes <laughs> off, and, uh, and the family is sort of left to go, what, what's next? What do we do next? And, um, and they all have differing ideas of how that, should happen of how they should move forward. Your character, you can talk about your. Well, character. you know, I'm, I, it, it's interesting because my character <coughs> is married to this ornithologist, and I think at one time I probably found it fascinating and interesting when I was younger, and you know, because there's a lot of, of travel into the woods and studying exotic birds. Uh, but I look at it as my character feels as if she's grown up. And uh, through the course of our marriage, uh, my husband did not and chose this sort of very alternate uh, lifestyle where he literally does take off for weeks and goes into the jungle. We don't know where he is. Um, and I think enough is enough. You know, I want to I want to live an adult life and and enjoy myself a little bit, and not always be left holding the bag. And it's kind of like when you're when, you know, the artist struggle when you're and an artist is married to someone who finally says, you know, why don't you grow up and just start getting living a real life or get a real job? Right. And that's kind of, you know, where I feel the that's the start of the play for me. Uh, plus, you know, 
having two 12-year-old twins, it's, you know, I want to provide them a life that has a little more stability. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, this person is also a very charismatic and charming man. Uh, yeah. So he makes things interesting and exciting. And therefore, his daughter is... Uh, Completely mesmerized by him and, and misses him so painfully. Um, and so her, her journey is really about how she can bring him back. And, um, I mean, it goes well beyond that. But that's, that's, that's the impetus for her. And, um, and, then, uh, and then they're also stuck with um, the grandmother yes. who sort of has, to, has just lost her husband and, um, and is in a state, a period of grieving. And so uh, they can't just leave her. Yeah. Have to... And again, a fascinating woman who is also a naturalist yes. who, uh, you know, sort of has that kind of hippie, like wonderful, anything can happen, you know, just live and let live mentality. But yeah. she's lost her husband. And so, you know, things are changing for her as well. Um, so it's an interesting cast of characters. I mean, it's for me, it's very interesting to be in a play where we have uh, sort of at the center are two 12-year-old twins. Yeah. Um, How was casting that? Really Good interesting. <laughs> we were a little scared. We were like, we, we really thought long and hard about whether or not we were actually going to do this play because of the um, the casting and it's a, it's a male female it's implications. Not, it's, I mean, yeah, thank God yeah. they're not identical or something. But um, yeah. and and I my day job is that I'm a casting director, and I knew how <laughs> challenging this is going to be. Yeah. I was like, do we really want to take this on? But, well, and we even thought of of casting a female in the male role, right? As a male. Did yeah. you twist people's arms casting for the show? Did you go, you do this show or I don't put you up for CBS, <laughs> NBC commercials? Yeah, exactly. That's well, it's a, it's a nice little lore. Yes. It does get people in the door. No, I, we, the way it happened was um, we, we, had, we had worked with some young, I mean, we weren't going to cast 12-year-olds just because of the rehearsal schedule. And... Um, the, the, we had such a short period to rehearse, and did you find nineteen-year-olds that looked twelve? We found yes, <laughs> basically. Um, we got really lucky. We oh. we called in some we called in some great people who look like they're you know thirteen and and th- twelve, and um, but I happened to be casting a commercial for I can't it was remember Clearasil. Like Clearasil. <laughs> As casting a Clearasil commercial. As luck would have it. As luck would have it, because the, nothing says adolescent girl like uh, Clearasil. <laughs> so um, I was casting a Clearasil commercial, and this uh, girl, young woman, named um, Emma Galvin came in to audition, and I thought, I, this was the first time I'd ever met her. And I thought, oh, gosh, she's so interesting. She's like this kind of, like, young Ellen Page kind of uh, actress. Just very, a little quirky, but very strong-willed. Feisty. Feisty, yeah. And and, and small. Very small. Very small. <laughs> so she definitely looks, you know, she she has that 12-year-old stature. And um, so we call, I called her into the audition uh, along with other people who are really wonderful. And we had a, and, and we had some great Zoe's, but she stood out. And then she sat out in the hall, and waited for our um, executive director was sort of monitoring the auditions. And she went out and she said, "You know, excuse me, um, I don't, I just, I, I don't know if this is appropriate, but I, I just, I have a brother." 
<laughs> who uh, who's an actor. And um, he looks just like and me. we look exactly alike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he's fifteen. And so we were like, great, bring him to the the callback, you know. Yeah. And, um, and hoping, 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 hoping he out. could speak two words in a row, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he walked in, and he completely blew us away. His name is Noah Galvin. Yeah. Um, quite a well-known actor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a terrific actor, and he was just the part. Yeah, they both are. They both are. And it's so amazing to find them. Such different personalities, and yet, and and what's also been so we have this brother and sister team playing it's brother like and one sister. In a <laughs> it was it was really fate. We were yeah. fated to do this play, and it was fated to happen this way, and um, and also all that brother sister stuff is already there. Like we don't have to create it in rehearsal. They already like you know poke at each other and, yes, and smile at each other when they you know when they're proud of each other whatever it's it's really yeah in fact when we when we really when we called Emma to say she, we wanted to cast her uh, she was excited yeah but then I told her we also wanted to cast Noah and she went crazy she was yeah. like oh my god I'm his biggest fan and he's my biggest fan they have yeah. a great maturity and understanding of each other as actors as well as yeah. as brother and sister it's really cool it is it's been really cool Okay, so just okay. So Elizabeth, your yes. casting director day job stayed mm-hmm. in the arts. I'm mm-hmm. curious, Annie, have what's your day job? Have you also managed? Uh, to- yes, I I run a a family company that was started by my mother 30 years ago, who was an actress, and um, we produce industrials primarily in the medical education uh, arena. Ooh. And uh, yes, yeah, very. It's more exciting than it sounds. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I actually am quite interested. I've never no, had anybody really, on the show to say what goes on with industrials. Well, we work with with pharmaceutical companies, and we create medical education programs and training programs. So I and a core group of about 12 other actors, um, all uh, equity and and SAG actors, uh, travel around the country doing these programs uh, for pharmaceutical companies. Um, And it's it's actually tremendous. I I love the work because uh, it's so different for them to have a bunch of actors working with them than the usual sort of corporate like robotic stuff that they're handed so they're 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 very um, lively programs <laughs> what are the what are the scenes skits well, plays? what do, what do we call them we call what them scenarios okay. and uh, what I do is I basically play problem employees uh, I play people Ooh. who are acting up <laughs> and fun. not I guess, <laughs> and not following the uh, the company line, or oh. perhaps someone is um, someone is sexually harassing me, and I'm I'm revealing this. And and what we actually do is they're all it's all improvised work, and and you're as the actor you're impro- <laughs> as the actor you're improvising with a non actor who is a you know a pharmaceutical uh, manager or sales representative. And but so, you also have to know all of the the material. I mean, like I the, mean, you have to know it well enough material. to be able to improvise around it. <laughs> right. um, so it's really it, it, it keeps you very so much you, on your toes. Are you thus? Educated enough to apprise us on the state of healthcare in this nation. Um, I can give you <laughs> varying points of view that are very <laughs> different than than perhaps what you feel. Yeah. Um, but it actually, it's interesting you say that because for me, as an artist, being very insulated in my work with Three Graces, you know, which is fantastic, and living in New York City, it lets me see um, that other people's points of views might have something valid to them as well. And it's really great to get out and work in a community right. that's not 
just actors, and which yeah. I love to do, but. Um, I think this is a perfect opportunity, though, to um, to plug our second stage, Absolutely. Um, which uh, Three Graces in in repertory with our main stage show does um, uh, what we call a Grace Notes programming, and. Um, this Grace Notes uh, production is two commissioned uh, short plays about healthcare, and um, they're hysterical. Oh, they're fantastic! It's called Prescription Strength Theater. Is it any and, funnier than what's been happening on CNN? Because that's hard to top. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's pretty funny. These two playwrights, Patrick Link and Sharon Rothstein, Sharon Rothstein is Our, a company member as well, um, have have just. Such written these really smart, very funny, very thought-provoking. Yeah. Uh, and it's all stuff that we're thinking about. You know, one deals with insurance. Um, and one deals with pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Because nothing to me is funnier than the punchline of, if people don't have health care, we'll just make a law saying you have to buy health care. Right. Well, <laughs> that is the... pretty funny stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it's great to be able to look at it in a way where you can really <laughs> laugh about it. Yeah. And, you know, and yet... Kind of, it kind of, un, it, it it unearths the absurdity of the whole argument. Exactly. They're, they're, yeah, they're, well, which is, which is, uh, gross, grossly exaggerated in these places. Yes, yes. Or, or not actually. I think it's just gross. Depends things. on your point of view. Yeah. <laughs> But they're great, so. and we're really happy to be producing them. And and it was great. This is the first time we've actually commissioned pieces to be written for company members. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been really fun. Really, really great, yeah. Well, I have two quick questions unrelated to the power of birds, mm-hmm. which is playing February 15th through March 13th. We'll get back to that. But yeah. just kind of before we wrap up, for those aspiring, you know, actors out there, yeah. you know, listening to the program, I'm, I'm sure you have a million things, but Elizabeth, mm-hmm. uh, as casting director, mm-hmm. what would be like two or three choice bits of advice, maybe beyond the usual, hmm. you know, that you would maybe offer? That I would offer up to as- aspiring, well, you know, it's an, I work as, um, I work in... You know, not just the be diligent. And no, be, no, well, I you know. know. Yeah, off, off the wall things <laughs> you kind of discovered. Yeah. Over. Well, I work, in, I work in commercial casting mostly, commercials and voiceovers. And I know that there's a big stigma uh, among a lot of actors that's like, you know, commercials aren't real acting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they are. They're just a very different, specific, unique kind of acting. It's a skill set. It's a real skill set and and a really advantageous one to have because it's a place where you can make money and support doing the the, the real acting that you want to do. Um, You know, I think in terms of advice, I mean, I've been on, I've given them, uh, I think it's important to... um, to always be kind to people um, because you never know who you're going to meet and you never know where that person's going to end up. Um, and I think it's important to uh, have other things that you love to do <laughs> that you can really focus your energies on because there's nothing worse than like a desperate actor. Um, you can really feel that energy and it's... It's um, it just doesn't it doesn't bode well. But if you have if you have something else that you're really like into, and and so coming into an audition, the other stuff isn't that important. You can, it allows you it frees you up to be a real person, hmm. um, yeah. and that's really refreshing. And um, and and in my experience, those are the the people that that tend to excel um, the most. 
Is that that good? Yeah. And any truth to the rumor, you know, a lot of actors spend the time going, oh, if I'm first, they'll remember me. If I'm last, in the middle, they'll forget me. Any right. truth to any of that and in where you're at in the big cattle call? Well, here's, here's my feeling. I am a much better casting director by 2 o'clock than I am at 10 o'clock because I've seen it done so many times that I know how to I know what works and what doesn't. So I feel like I get the best auditions out out of people when they come sort of in the middle of the day. Um, you know, I mean, they're, but it's really person to person. I kind of sense what you're saying too. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> going to try to be seeing you in the middle of the day. I know everybody's going to come in the middle of the day. I mean, by the end of the day, everybody's a little tired. You know, so that's that. That can be something to kind of um, work against. Um, and then at the beginning, but you know. Uh, ultimately, if you're if you're right, you're right, and if they they respond, they respond. It doesn't, uh, you know. I think that, like I said, I'm more. I'm. I feel like I I get more out of people sort of halfway through the day, in well, the middle. And you know, Elizabeth and I do a lot of casting, and I do casting with my company as well, which is called Simulation. And I was going to now overboard and say for this kind of hidden area of industrials, which can well, we be, do the same. Which we can have... be a living for actors. Oh, and, absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. But it's Absolutely. very hidden. It's no, it's not as yep. well known as yeah. some of the others. So, yep. what is your advice for people looking to maybe get into like industrials, kind of in general, as a way to? Well, I, for the work I do, you have to be uh, not only do you have to be a very good actor, but you have to be a really good teacher, and you have to understand what it what you what you you have to be able to step outside of what yeah. you're doing as an actor and really watch it with sort of like an eye outside of it. And I think that's that's not something that everyone can do. So we have a really hard time finding people that are very good at this on a consistent and basis. And I think also, we, we, Annie touched on this earlier, but one of the greatest skills that you can have as an actor auditioning is improvisation. Yep. I mean, if you know how to improvise and you're comfortable improvising, you 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 can you can really uh, this is a great improvisation succeed. yeah exactly <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, if you are comfortable improvising you you, you can succeed well and you know the biggest thing is and this is sort of cliche and and this is not new but it's so true is that everybody who walks in the door you as the casting people you want them to be the one it's you totally. want them to you know, you want to love them. Yeah. It makes your job so much easier if they're the one. Exactly. So it's kind of like if you can find a way to just not be so fearful that someone yeah. doesn't want you to succeed and and try to allow that maybe they're completely on your side. Yeah. I don't know if that helps. You know, Elizabeth and I are both performers that have been in the city for, for many years, and, and, and we made it work. I mean, I think that's the hardest mm-hmm. thing for young actors is trying to figure out a way to make it work so that you don't end, yeah. up, end up being a slave to your day job or that becomes what you really are. In this city, you have to find a way to really get yourself in productions, do something, I keep working if, on something. If you have the opportunity to intern at a casting office yeah. or sit on the other side, it's it, be you know, around it. Be a reader in auditions. Yep. It really is invaluable. You learn so you much. You learn oh so gosh. much. It's just it, it demystifies it. It makes it like when you're in, when you when you're in an audition room the whole day, all of a sudden the audition room isn't isn't as scary. No, and we learn so much as actors being able to be casting people. You yeah. know, so when yeah. we go audition, I always replay some of the wonderful things I've seen and or the way pe- certain actors have approached mm-hmm. the audition process. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think if you're if you're like a reader or something, you also see, I mean, there, there can be total assholes in the room, you know, watching you. And, and no, not... I, I am going to emphasize it, but from my perspective in the different areas yeah. I sat in theater, I would, I would say that is probably the number one piece of advice I, I would yeah. also give us. Yeah. Get involved. Be on the other end of the no, curve. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are, there like, there's a lot of strong personalities in this industry. <laughs> yeah. Lots. And um, and you just have to navigate them the best you can. And, you know, I think as actors, we all feel we, we have such insecurities. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really challenging to be in a position where in order, you know, you're not a painter. You can't just go paint in your room. You're an actor. You do it for other people. And, and somebody has to sort of allow you that opportunity. And so it's a really vulnerable place to be. When you walk in and you want so much for somebody, just give you that opportunity. And I think you have to look at that audition as that opportunity, not at what that audition might lead to. That's a really you know? good point. And just say, okay, this is my job. Auditioning is my job. This is this is great. This is I'm going to have yeah, so we, much fun we, in this audition today. We cast this one uh, man who ended up becoming a company member, Rolo, because well, one of the things I loved about it is yeah. he did his audition, and then Elizabeth said, "Well, is there anything else that you'd like to show us?" And he said, "No, nope, that's what I got." <laughs> and I just thought it was like cool. Yeah, right, that's what you brought. And that's who you are. Yep, exactly. That's that's so funny that you remember that. I always remember that. I know that. you do. It just felt like it was came from a real place of confidence. Like, yeah, yeah. All right, so the power of birds. <laughs> yeah, power of birds. Now that we got to know you. You can get yes. uh, Running February nineteenth through March thirteenth. Yes. Uh, and also, you had the the sides to the second stage. Yes, as well. the prescription strength theater, which will uh, run in repertory with it. So, is there a website people can go Absolutely. visit? www.3spelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threespelledout.threesp
because if he got negative reviews, chances are he would never have the ability to write another show again. Uh, and I found that really sad because there's so much talent out there that you don't even know exists and people are afraid to take a chance. And, and, and those who do often get rewarded and, and sometimes you get shot down. But guess what? This is a business about getting back up on your feet and keeping going. I always talk it's the only business where you can legally discriminate. You can go in. They say, I'm sorry, you're too tall. You're too black. You're too white. No other business in the world can you do that and actually get away with it. Or, I'm sorry, you're really fantastic, but I'm going to hire my cousin Sue. Um, so for me, when I look at that and I look at the fact that there's so much talent out there that is just unknown and unheard and unseen, it was always sort of my passion to bring people to a place where they can be heard and be seen. So I started to do that with my concerts and uh, and I would bring guests in. You know, when I, when I did Sardis or I did my concerts in L.A. or any concert that I do, I'll bring in known commodities like, my, you know, all my buddies, Kudish and – you know, Cheyenne, you know, was going to come and sing and, you know, and, and Deborah Gibson, all these great people, you know, Kate Schindel, Lauren Kennedy, <coughs> jet lag. Um, so uh, but at the same time, I brought in unknowns because I wanted to be able to share this talent that I found that I thought, oh, my gosh, nobody's heard, you know, this person before. Um, and so when we were doing A Tale of Two Cities, uh, a good buddy of mine who was the producer, Ron Sharp, uh, had a lot of students. Ron was in Les Mis and had done a lot of Broadway shows himself. And he has an incredible voice. For those of you who don't know Ron or may know him as a producer, I mean the guy has an incredible voice. And so he was teaching voice to people in between producing and acting. And he said, hey, you know, this is this is uh, one of my students uh, and, and uh, you know, he's a great kid and and at that time, I think I met him. He was 17 a couple of years ago. He's 19 now. And uh, you should really hear him sing. And, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, great. You know, and if, I was so busy with a tale and, you know, working with it. And one day, Ron goes, no, 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 you should hear him sing. And we were just sitting around one day and he put in a recording of this kid. Daniel Zorovich is his name. And I went, how old is he? He said, 17. And I said, where's, what's he doing? And he goes, well, he's a, he's a, a, a New Jersey ranked, I think he was the state champion kart racer, car racer. I mean, he's a race car driver. He's 17. I'm like, and he sings like that. And he goes, yeah. And he wants to be a boat pilot when he, when he grows up. And I was like, oh my gosh. So the next thing you know, I'm do, you know, he became a friend. His family became friends. Fast forward two years later, he's 19 now. He's in, you know, at university. And uh, I had him come last year to sing at the, uh, at the Sardis concerts. And uh, he sang one of the Christmas tunes. And then I had him come back this year and he sang Bring Him Home. And he has a recording of it. Do, you, do we, we want to play it? So this is, this is a 19-year-old non-theater. I mean he does theater but he's a race car driver and he's studying to be a boat captain and you know, wants to do theater but wants to be a boat captain. So this, this is Bring Him Home, Daniel Zorovich, 19 years old. Sounded like this when I met him when he was 17. Let's give it a shot. God, Peace. 
So, Daniel Zorovich, and, you know, as I listen to that song and I, and, and, and I listen to the end of that, you know, at the very, very end, that's where you can tell that somebody's got control in their voice, at least from my point. When he hits that falsetto and he holds that, that to me, it's like, you know, it's unbelievable. Um, he's got a website. It's danzorovich.com, D-A-N-Z-O-R-O-V-I-C-H. Dot com, danzorovich.com. Uh, he's a one to watch, man, and, uh, and ladies and girls and boys. And I got to tell you, great person, which make, this is what makes it even more amazing. The most amazing family, the most wonderfully warm and inviting family, and it trickles down. I mean, he's a great, great guy. He's become a friend. And, uh, you know, I, I had uh, Mark McVeigh, the incredible Mark McVeigh, probably, in my opinion, the most glorious voice, solid, straight, such a through line. I mean, when, when, when Mark opens his mouth to sing, I, 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 he did bring him home one time when we were at an event, and I just started to cry. There's just this unbelievable quality to his voice. And, of course, Daniel said to me, he goes, oh, my God, you know, Mark McVeigh, he's just his voice. Well, wouldn't you know it, Mark McVeigh was singing – 
the same day that Daniel Zorovich was singing at my last concert. And he's like uh, – and he's singing Bring Him Home. And of course, Mark had, you know, done Valjean for so many years and and they, you know, hooked up. And it's it's just great to be able to put people together. And uh, so for me, that's what it's about, you know, and, and what we're going to do – and, you know, I was talking to Michael Gilbo about it. You know, we're going to – you know, we're going to go and, and find people that, you know, that everybody knows. But the, the purpose for me is to find people that nobody knows, to find people that you go, hey, wait a minute. This person's sitting in some off, off, off Broadway musical and they're unbelievable. Or look at this writer. I, I think about that too. You know, this writer that was in L.A. I've got three musicals. Well, you know what? I read some of the stuff. It's great. It's funny. It's poignant. There are so many wonderful wonderfully talented people that are out there from writers to singers to actors to actresses to, you know, and you just need to get a shot. And this business is is so difficult, especially right now with the economy the way it is and, you know, all the, you know, the smaller shows that are succeeding and, and the larger shows that are not because of their budgets. I mean, of course, you got the Billy Elliots, which are doing incredibly well. But it's really a time, I think, to start rethinking how we're looking at this business. I could be wrong. But I remember somebody saying to me, we got to go back to the old ways. And I said, you know what? We don't. The old ways were the old ways. They turned into something new. Those new ways are now the old ways. And we have to really restructure how we're looking at the entertainment industry and theater specifically. You know, gone are the days and, you know, when you would get a record deal and they say, here's $300,000. Go make an album. And we're going to give you $5 million to promote it. You know, people are in their garages making records for a couple thousand bucks, you know. And that's what's happening these days. You know, you don't have the massive amounts of money to go out and promote and and spend, you know, get a huge billboard in Times Square. You know, we can't afford that. You know, you, you need a major record label behind you. And guess what? They're not even doing it these days because it's it's there, there's too much risk involved. So it's about time to rethink how we're going to do these things, do some grassroots stuff, really ingenious ways to, uh, uh, to, to approach the entertainment field, ingenuity. Um, that, that's how we're going to look at it. And so with that in mind, that's what we're going to do, I'd like to do, is go out and find people that are working in the grassroots stuff, people that you don't know, students that are in college. You know, there, there was a group of kids, <clears throat> excuse me, there were a group of kids that, uh, college kids, that were really big supporters of tail. And, you know, and they would hang out at the stage door and, and, and I, of course, we would come out of the stage door and they were there. I'm like, oh, great, you know, and, and you know, like Jane Eyre, they had the airhead, the, the rent people. What, what, I can't remember what the rent people were called, but, you know, those, those supporters, all the, you know, like really great supporters of the show. Um, and we had those with tail and every show has them. You know, Billy Elliot's got the billies. I don't know. I'm making that up. You know, hair has the hair band. I don't know. I'm making that up too. Um, so – we started talking to these guys and like, yeah, we're all theater majors and, you know, it was a college in Connecticut. And, and, uh, and so lo and behold, they were such supporters that I brought them in one day to sing and they sang Seasons of Love. And they blew me away. I mean, here are these, you know, these college kids coming in, you know, freshmen, sophomores, you know, juniors. You know, some were maybe about to graduate and, you know, move into the business. But you never heard of these people. And they sat there. They got the music together themselves. They rehearsed it. They came in and they blew me away and they blew the room away. And, you know, you just never know what you're going to find. And, you know, you sit on the subway sometimes and you're sitting there across from this kid and he's got his head down. This is a true story. Uh, and we'll bring him in later. I won't tell you who it is. Um, and, okay. So here I was on the subway. I, I was going down to an event that I was doing and I'm sitting across and there's this, you know, 
Subway's packed, right? There's this young African-American kid sitting across me. He's really skinny and he's got his hat tied. He's got his iPod on. You know, it's a little bag, like, you know, book bag. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, student, you know, he's a student, you know. And he's literally sitting across me and he looks up and he sort of nods and, you know, nods because he's got his iPod on. So you don't really, you know how you do that, you know, nod, but you don't say anything and you can talk without talking to people on the subway. It's like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, good, good to see you. Had no idea who the guy was. The subway is packed, right? And he's like – he's jamming on his iPod, you know, doing his beat thing, you know. And so people get off the subway and we, we happen to get off at the same stop. And I'm sitting there and, of course, I have this preconceived idea who this, this kid is. You know, oh, he's probably, a, you know, like a, you know, an art student maybe or, you know, maybe studying, you know, I don't know, architect. I had, you know, I had no idea. I just figured he's some college kid. <clears throat> well, we go into this thing. Next thing you know, he's following me. And I'm like – well, not following me, but he's going the same path I'm going. I'm like, oh, yeah, what's, what's, maybe School of Visual Arts. I don't know. And so we end up and I go into this rehearsal space and he walks into the rehearsal space. And I look and he says, hey, how you doing? I'm like, good. How are you? Next thing you know, he takes out his bag and he takes out a pair of tap shoes, takes off his shoes and puts them on. And this kid who I thought was a college kid studying architecture is one of the greatest tap dancers I have seen since Savion Glover. And I, you know, I'm sitting there going, oh, my, this kid, I was writing all this stuff, had no idea. And that to me is what excited, what's exciting. And, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about him. And some of you may know him. He's a little well-known. He does a lot of the, you know, the Scott Siegel Broadway by the Year stuff and, and uh, you know, uh, Broadway Unplugged. Unbelievable improvisational tap dancer. And to me, that's what's exciting. You walk through this city. You never know who is who or what is what. And that's why, I, you know, I started to look up. You know, when you walk through the city, you put your head down. For those of you who don't live in New York City or you visit, you, you may know what I'm talking about. But for those of us, you know, who live here, at least, you know, I live here part of the year and, you know, back and forth all the time. You know, you walk with your head down and you just, you know, you push through. And I, I realized, you know what, you got to look up because you never know who you're going to see. You never know who you're going to meet. And here's this incredible talented, you know, incredibly talented person that, you know, I'm sitting across the subway with thinking he's some student. And it's such an inspirational um, vision that he has when, when he dances. And you can just see this amazing passion come out. So that's what's exciting for me. That's what I'm excited about in doing this radio show, finding people like Daniel Zorovich, bringing them to the table, you know, allowing them a chance to grow and blossom where they might otherwise, you know, it might take them a little while. And, uh, you know, not all of us are graduating from Juilliard. Not all of us are graduating from the master's program at NYU or Yale Drama. And, you know, all of our, you know, great friends who do that, you know. And, and, but for those of us who are coming out of, you know, they call it the Yale Mafia, the Juilliard Mafia. They, you know, th th there's, there's sort of a leg up, you know, at least I think. And it's a good leg up. I'm saying it's a great thing. But for those of us who didn't come from there and from those of us who d may not have the opportunity or the financial ability to go there, there needs to be an opportunity for people to be seen and be heard. And hopefully, you know, we're going to do it here. And uh, go visit danzorovich.com, you know. Play this iPod cast back or this, this podcast back on your iPod or your MP3 player and listen to him sing Bring Him Home. And, uh, you know, remember that you never know who you're going to be sitting next to. You never know who's across from you. And you know what? If you know somebody who is amazing, send us a link. Let us know. And we have something set up. You can send it to james at broadwaybullet.com. 
and, you know, we'll find these people, we'll go and look at them and, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll bring them in and we'll, we'll highlight them. And you know what? That, that's the other thing that's cool about this because this is a community, folks. We're all in this together, not just the performers, not just the creative teams, not just the, you know, the crew and, and the directors, but the audiences as well. Because guess what? Without the audiences, we'd be performing in a vacuum. And theater specifically is meant for audiences. It's meant so we have that reciprocity with the people who are out there. We need the audiences. We need you to help us. We need you to tell us what you think. So, you know, for me, the greatest critics in the world is the audience. That's who we do it for. So send us people that you think. Send us, you know, even if there are shows that you don't know about or that we don't know about, anything. This is what we're going to do. It's the one to watch, not the one person, not the one show, whatever you want it to be, the one to watch. So send us those links, James at BroadwayBullet.com. We'll get them. We'll look at them. And, you know, hopefully we'll have, uh, we'll have a great fun show. And, you know, any other thing you want to send and, you know, talk about, we can fit it into that format. Let's go for it. So there you go. Thanks for, uh, you know, the, this first one. Go to DanZorovich.com. Take a look at him. And, uh, you know, keep on listening. We'll be here. Curtain Call. Well, that wraps up our season premiere, Volume 401. Uh, if you uh, have any questions about anything that was on this episode, we have all sorts of links at our website, broadwaybullet.com. Just check in the show notes for Volume 401. And a couple of things to be on the lookout for. James Barber is also cutting a charity single for Haiti Relief uh, with me in my studio with a great songwriter that I met. Uh, fantastic song. And hopefully we'll be premiering that on uh, the next episode. You'll be able to check that out. Also coming up soon, we will be having an exclusive uh, backstage, behind-the-scenes pre-release for the BMI CD, No More Revivals. I'm still waiting on the official release date. It has been moved to sometime in March. They're still finishing up the artwork. As soon as they got the release date, though, I'll work it out. We've got lots of behind-the-scenes interviews with the performers after they recorded, uh, interviews with the songwriters, and you're going to get to hear all the music, and it's going to be fantastic. So be sure to check out future episodes. Well, thanks for listening. Again, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live, after all. Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like, once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't, we don't back away from anything. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. 
Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.